Today on the Women Mind the Water Art of the Series on WomenMindTheWater.com, I'm speaking with Tracy Metz. Tracy is a journalist, author, and podcast maker. Originally from California, Tracy fell in love with Amsterdam years ago and has lived and worked there ever since. She's the director of the John Adams Institute, an independent foundation in the Netherlands that brings the best and the brightest of American thinking to the Netherlands. Tracy is passionate about the interplay between urban issues, architecture, and the natural environment, particularly water. She recently released Water Talks, a podcast tied to the United Nations Conference on Water. The conference held in New York City in March 2023 was hosted by the Netherlands and Tajikistan. The Women Mind the Water Art of the Series podcast on womenmindthewater.com engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean. Through their stories, Women Mind the Water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures. I am speaking with California-born Tracy Metz, who now lives in the Netherlands. She is a journalist, author, and podcast maker. Tracy is interested in how the Netherlands, a low-lying, flat country, manages its water issues. Much of the Netherlands is reclaimed land with water control initiatives dating back as far as the Middle Ages, when the first dikes were built. Her books, Wheat and Salt, Water and the Dutch, investigates the changes in the country's approach to water management in times of climate change. Her podcast, Water Talks, addresses global issues with water. Too much, too little, too dirty, and too unequal. Thank you, Tracy, for reaching out about being on the Women Mind the Water Artivist Series podcast. I'm pleased you could find time in your busy schedule to talk about your personal journey, the Netherlands, and water management. Water management is a particularly relevant topic here in the United States, with events like the recent flooding in New York and Vermont, and the continuing drought conditions in the West. Welcome, Tracy. I'm looking forward to our conversation. As the episode of your podcast series, Water Talks, highlight water issues, including having too much and too little water, as well as too dirty and unequal access. But before we talk about water, let's talk about you. Where in California did you grow up? Thank you for having me, Pam. I'm just delighted to be here. And I'm a great fan of your, your podcast and the videos. I think it's really important to get the word out. I grew up, I now live in uh, what was traditionally a very wet place. And I come from a very dry place. I was born in the Mojave Desert. And I grew up in Los Angeles, which of course, like all of Southern California, is basically a very dry area. I grew up not watering the garden, not washing the car, not flushing the toilet unless you really had to. So my experience with, with water was very different. Okay. So what role did water play in your childhood? The lack of it was the main thing. We were all taught to be to take short showers, not to let the tap run when you brush your teeth, not to let the tap run when you were doing the dishes before we had dishwashers. Um, it was... Uh, we were taught to be smart with water and realized that this was a scarce resource. And I think that is an awareness that we really need to go back to. Let's skip forward a little bit. Am I correct that water was not the main focus of your college studies? 
tell us what was your focus when you went to college. <laughs> um, actually, Pam, I studied French and Spanish at college. And I thought I would, I don't know, do something with languages, translate, interpret. And so I thought after college, well, I have to make sure that my languages are really good. Maybe I should go to France and Spain. So I went to the travel agency, as we did then, pre-internet, and booked a ticket to Europe. And the cheapest ticket to Europe that day was to Amsterdam. And I'm still here. How funny. I yeah. know. I know. The best laid plans of mice and men. What made you decide to make the Netherlands your home? I didn't really decide. It just sort of happened. But the main thing that I found here so incredibly attractive about uh, an old compact city like Amsterdam was what we now call vibrancy. There were people on the street. In Los Angeles, there's nobody on the street. There's no place to walk. Uh, here, everybody walks or they jump on their bicycle. They run into people they know. Uh, you can walk to the bookstore. You can walk to work, walk to the supermarket. It's all very compact and dense and urban and lively. And I had never seen a city like that. I thought, wow, I like this. So how do cultural differences between the Netherlands and the U.S. affect decision making on issues related to water? I think there are two main things that really have an impact on how decisions get made and what decisions do indeed get made. One of them, I think, is um, what the citizens of those two very different countries expect from their government. The Dutch are used to paying taxes for uh, many things, including water management. There's a whole department of government uh, that takes care of the, the dikes and the sluices and, uh, and all the rest of it. And that's about a billion euros a year. And it's just normal that you pay taxes and assume that government will take care of that. And it's actually even in the Dutch constitution that government is responsible for keeping this country habitable which means keeping the water out, certainly in the uh, western half of the country, which is more than 60% of it is below sea level. So that's one thing, what we expect of our government. Uh, so people, when it, when it rains hard and there are puddles on the street, people call the city and say, make, make the puddles go away. <laughs> For people who've never been to the Netherlands, maybe you should describe the country a little bit, because you said that at one part, I guess the Western part, it, a majority of the land is underwater? It would be underwater without this complex system of uh, dikes and dunes that protect the Netherlands from the from the North Sea on the west. And that's the, the whole Western swath of the Netherlands, uh, Rotterdam, Amsterdam, and up to the Wadden Sea is... Uh, is would be inundated without that whole system of uh, of dikes and dunes. And that's very relevant for the country's future because that's where 70% of the gross national product is earned. R relating back to your question about, uh, you know, very fundamental cultural differences. Uh, and I think another important difference is the sense of the collective. Dutch water management right from the beginning has been completely a collective thing. The whole system of dikes and reclaiming land started out with farmers getting together, building dikes, taking out the water to create new farmland. 
And they all had to do their bit to maintain those dikes. If they didn't, the whole system was useless. So right from the very beginning, there's been a strong sense of water being a, a collective issue that we that we can't solve as individuals on our own. And I think that's an important difference uh, with the U.S. In my book, Sweet and Salt, which you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, I have a, a really fascinating image of a farm in the Mississippi. And it was the Mississippi was flooding and the farmer had gotten his bulldozer out and built his own dike around his own farm. And I think that's that image says so much about the American approach to uh, uh, property rights and feeling that it's your own responsibility to take care of yourself. And the Dutch first uh, intuitive response is that it's government's responsibility to take care of water safety. So those are really fundamentally different approaches to the role of government and the role of the individual. Thank you for that observation. Yeah, I had been interested for years and written a number of books about issues of how we use the space that we have, the relationship between the built and natural environment, since here there isn't really much natural environment in the Netherlands. The whole landscape is man-made, man-maintained, and it is a high-maintenance personality, this landscape, let me tell you. So it's the whole relationship between the, the human and the natural, the 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 natural and the and the man-made uh, is very different here. Uh, and I discovered when I was at Harvard for a year in 2006, 2007, where I was awarded the wonderful Loeb Fellowship, I discovered in conversations with the students that this whole water system was not as self-evident as I, as an adopted Dutch person, had thought it was. They said, well, you know, climate change is coming. Um, the Dutch are starting to look differently at their at their system. And I thought, they are? I hadn't noticed. And it was thanks to these smarty pants at Harvard that I started looking around me better and realizing that in the uh, whole water system here, a lot of the interventions, the really hard-nosed mechanical concrete interventions that the Dutch had been doing ever since a huge national flood of 1953, so basically since the war, that was having repercussions that were coming back to bite them in the heels. They were discovering that you cannot just with impunity mess with the water system and stop and pump and, and pipe in the water wherever you need it. There is a natural system which has really much greater strength than the man-made system that we've tried to impose in the last 50, 75 years. So let's talk a little bit about your newest podcast, Water Talks. It grew out of the United Nations Conference on Water Issues. The conference itself was held in New York City in March, 2023. The conference was hosted by the Netherlands and Tajikistan. Now I need to know how two seemingly diverse countries came to host the conference on water. Yes, I think everyone was surprised. Uh, and that speaks to our ignorance about a lot of the rest of the world, I discovered, my ignorance as well. Uh, by the way, this was the first UN conference on water in nearly 50 years. Why did it take so long? 
but it's finally happened. And Netherlands did this together with Tajikistan because these UN conferences are always hosted by a partner from the global north and a partner from the global south. So Tajikistan was the partner from the global south, but it is the water powerhouse of Central Asia. It has uh, uh, enormous number of lakes with a huge surface area of water. It has glaciers. It is the source of fresh water for a large part of uh, Central Asia. Who knew? Now I do. Right. Yeah. So in your 10-part series, Water Talks, you investigate the topics of too much, too little, too dirty, and too unequal. With so many issues facing the U.S., such as flooding and continuing drought conditions in the southwestern United States, and most recently the dryness that caused a conflagration in Hawaii, what would you say Americans can learn from the Dutch experience? One of the things the Americans in New York have learned from the Dutch experience is um, designing water safety measures that are not just in the macho engineering tradition of tall concrete walls, pumping harder, building enormous storm surge barriers to keep the water out, that it's time that we started working together with the water and making those places, for example, the big U along the, the bottom of Manhattan. That whole project is about, yes, keeping Manhattan safe from another storm, another superstorm, but also about giving the communities who live there a pleasant place to live, about improving the quality of life. And that is something that the Dutch are really good at, is combining water design with public space, green areas, uh, amenities like sports and, uh, and culture. That is something that they do really well. And I know that New York has really uh, made a point of learning from the Dutch experience. And one of my interviews is with a man named Matthijs Bouw, B-O-U-W. He's an architect and urban designer. And he's been living in New York now, working for eight years on the big U and helping bring that sort of multivalent approach that the Dutch have to landscape. And the Dutch have had to learn that because the country is so small. It's about the size of Rhode Island. So as director of the John Adams Institute, you get to meet some of the most creative minds from the United States. So let's flare up the narrative a bit. What American have you interviewed whose inventive ideas would benefit the Dutch with their water practices? One of the uh, people I've interviewed for the podcast uh, and also knew personally before that was my predecessor as the director of the John Adams Institute, the New York author and historian Russell Shorto. And he is a wonderful storyteller about how the Water was the reason for the Dutch to settle there as a maritime nation, and they could uh, trade and they could use the waterways to get into the hinterlands to uh, start farms and hunt beavers and uh, the rest of the, all the rest of the colonial economy. And his theory is that New York is now the cosmopolitan city that it is because of that early Dutch influence, that it was the Dutch with their multinational uh, uh, colony in those years, bringing in so many different languages and nationalities, that that has made New York into the tolerant cosmopolitan city that it is now. 
So water is definitely something to talk about on so many levels. It's hard not to feel overwhelmed, however, and the problems that we are facing seem out of control. So what suggestions can you offer to individuals on how they can remain hopeful and make a positive difference? Before I made Water Talks, I also made a podcast in Dutch called Nattigheid, which you would translate as wetness. That refers to a Dutch saying, if you feel that something is wet, that's a sign of alarm because that means maybe the dike is not holding up or there's something wrong. Wetness is a, a sign of alarm. So in this podcast uh, with this title, referring to this vague sense of unease, in each episode, I spoke to someone here in the Netherlands who is trying to make a difference. And one of the people I spoke to, I thought was wonderful. Uh, and also for Water Talks, I spoke to some really inspiring artists. This woman in the city of Tilburg in the south of the Netherlands, she realized that her city, which used to be full of streams and ditches and small waterways, that all the water had disappeared. And she said, I'm going to bring the water back. And she was one of a group of people who designed the former rail tracks into a new park. And she created the water system for this park. And it is a huge public success. And she has done so much on this on the small local scale of her own city to really make a difference. I think it's fantastic. One of the other people I spoke to for um, Water Talks was uh, is an American artist, Sarah Cameron Sunde, and inspired by Corona by COVID, she did a series of nine performances, which she calls durational performances with the sea all over the world, in New Zealand, in the Netherlands, uh, in New York. And the last one was in New York, in, in Queens. She goes out, finds a place in the uh, coastal area where she can just stand when the tide comes in. And she stands looking out to sea for a full 12, 13 hour tidal cycle. And the water comes all the way up to her chin and then gradually recedes. And people come stand out there with her. It's like a, it's a meditative way of feeling once again that we have a physical relationship to water. And I, I almost felt, it was almost a religious feeling that she undergoes that hardship of standing in that cold water for all those hours to help us reinstate our understanding of water. So. It can be someone who's smart at building a new water system. It can also be an artist who has a feeling for how to recapture that relationship, which we've lost. I think if I can summarize what you're saying, it doesn't matter whether you're an artist or um, a farmer or a politician, everybody can use what the, the experience they have, their capabilities to make a difference in their own way. And I think that's lovely. And I think it's wonderful that you came on this podcast and I've enjoyed getting to know a little about you. I appreciate your acumen as a storyteller. I also respect the energy and professionalism with which you tackle these difficult issues. I'd like to remind listeners that I've been speaking with Netherlands-based Tracy Metz, a journalist, author, and podcast maker. 
Her work lies at the intersection of urban issues, architecture, the natural environment, and particularly water. Tracy Metz is the latest guest on the Women Lie in the Water Artivist Series podcast. The series can be viewed on womenmindthewater.com, Museum on Main Street, and YouTube. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on womenmindthewater.com, on iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for the use of her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson.